today, this time, this session, helping with the word, what biblical counseling is and why it matters. You may have heard about biblical counseling. Uh, you may have never heard of it before, and what is it? So I'm going to hopefully, in about 40 minutes or so, explain the importance of biblical counseling and why it matters. So, but first, first, you're doing a lot of sitting, a lot of sitting, and so I want you all to stand. Here we go. You know how to give advice, ladies. Everybody stand up, because we all need a little standing. All right. I want to know who gives good advice. Actually, <laughs> I want to know who knows the good advice, right? We all, all right. So, if you have offered advice about coming to Ladies Renew this weekend, sit down. If you offered anyone advice about coming to Ladies Renew. If you offered advice about school this fall, any kind of school, anywhere, if you've offered advice about school, just sit down. I know! We are women! Here we go. If you have offered advice about raising children in the last month, sit down. We're doing good. All right, last one. If you have offered advice about COVID, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> now you know who to go to for advice. Thank you, ladies. Have a seat. <laughs> we offer advice all the time. That's what we do. That's how God made us. We're women, with the exception of those in the back, in the, and we need them, right? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Phil. Uh, so very rarely does anyone ask for, want, or need our advice, and that's so sad, because we have a lot to offer. All right, so here's another question. You don't have to raise your hand, but you could. How many of you have tried and failed to change something about yourself? Okay, yeah, that's where we have to start. <laughs> that's where um, the rubber hits the road, is that we don't just fail at changing others, we fail at changing ourselves. And that's why we need the Word of God, and that's why our advice needs to be Christ-centered, and it needs to be biblical, because only God brings about that change that we need. So let's pray. Um, you can pray for yourselves. I'm praying for me. I'm also praying for you, and then we'll move forward. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this time. I thank you for each of these women and the lives uh, that they represent. God, I do pray that you would guide my thoughts and my words, uh, that I would not do any thinking here <laughs> that is unnecessary or unhelpful, and certainly what is not biblical. Lord, I pray for the women that you would help them to stay focused, to hear what you would have them to hear, and then to take it with them as they go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So biblical counseling is basically using God's word as our source of interpreting and interacting with our world. Right? We use God's word to interpret and interact with our world. So where do we begin? We begin at the beginning. Biblical counseling holds a high view of God and his word. Um, this next illustration is not my unique illustration. 
Uh, I borrowed it from Brent Oakwin, who taught it in one of my seminary classes, and it's it's just so powerful. So if I read Genesis 1-2, we're starting in the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Describe for me three words that God's word uses for the earth in that verse. Anybody, just throw it out. Dark, formless, and void. So it's empty, it's without form, and it's dark. I have tried to draw this. Now, I am not an artist, and if you ever come and meet with me and I'm doing little diagrams, you will feel so much better about yourself. You will not believe how happy you are. But I have tried to draw this, something that is dark, something without form, and something that is empty. Can you do that? It doesn't even exist. And in our imaginations, we have a really hard time getting our head around what that would look like. So let's look at Genesis 1, verse 3. You know it. Then God said, let there be light. Refinish it for me. And there was light. All right. So the person acting was or is God. And what did he do? He spoke or he said. And what happened? There was light. We had it, right? Look at verses 6 and 7. Then God said, let there be a firmament, and he describes it. Thus God made the firmament and divided it, and it was so. Who did? Who committed the action? Who did this? God. And what did he do? He spoke. And what, what happened? Exactly what he said. We had a firmament. Are you seeing a pattern? My children loved preschool, and they started to see patterns. All right, we're looking for a pattern. Verse 9, Genesis 1, 9. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and the dry land appear, and it was so. God spoke, and it happened. And you can follow that pattern throughout that first chapter of Genesis. God said, and it happens. God says, and it happens, correct? So we started with an earth that was dark and without form and was empty. God speaks, and we end up with a world that has order and beauty and purpose. And what was the factor that changed it from one to the other? God's word. It was simply God speaking into what was dark and empty and void. So if you are coming today, if you are walking through life, and you are in that moment where you are feeling the darkness, and you are feeling empty, and you are feeling without purpose, then it is God's word that works that change in your life. Anything else will just kind of coat it, sugarcoat it. It might give you relief or comfort for a period of time. But anything apart from God and his word, ladies, it leaves a residue, doesn't it? I mean, you have been there. You have seen it in your life. You've seen it in others. It comes with guilt. It comes with shame. It comes with consequences. It comes with 
all kinds of baggage that you never knew was there. God's word is pure. And we're going to look at why and how we can come to have confidence in God's word as we look at it and how God's word is that catalyst for that beauty and that purpose and that order in your own life. So now let's quickly look ahead. Uh Uh-oh. He said, don't hit that button, that other button. (laughs) This is so fun. I love technology. It's so challenging for some of us. All right. When I talk about biblical counseling, not only does it represent a high view of God, it has a high view of people. So I'm going to read from Genesis 1, still chapter 1 in Genesis, verses 27 and 28. And I'm looking for God's purpose for people. If I said, what does it mean to be fully human? When I have been through trauma, when I have been sinned against, when I feel broken and empty, I want to know what does it mean to be human because I've lost it somewhere along the way. And I know that because I'm a person. I also know that because I interact with a lot of other people who are in that same place. Genesis 1, 27, 28. And I'm borrowing this little piece from um, another biblical counselor, Jocelyn Wallace, but I think it's going to be very helpful for you. And it says, oh boy, i got to back up from my Bible. God said, let us make man in our image, verse 26, according to our likeness, and then skipping down to 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves in the earth on the earth. Those should be familiar verses for you. I think a lot of us have heard those. We've even, if you've been to a wedding, you may have heard those. Um, Bear fruit and multiply. Let me challenge you that when God created man and woman in his image, we often think of that as being a noun, an object. Think of the word image as a verb. I image God. Not that I necessarily look like him, but in what I do, I image him to the rest of the world. So as I am fruitful and multiplying, and you see that throughout Genesis according to its own kind, that in what I say, in what I do, in how I think, am I being fruitful and multiplying the image of God? Am I expressing his goodness? Am I expressing his kindness? Am I imaging him and am I multiplying or bearing fruit who God is in what I say and do? When I do that, I am human because I am living out the purpose that God created people to do. It doesn't matter what my past, it doesn't matter where I've been, but if I, and we're going to get here, if I can come to a place of knowing how to image God by multiplying his goodness and his character in my life, I am, 
I am following through with that first mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve. Some of you have children. Some of you have been blessed that way. Some of you have not. And I don't care how old you are or what your needs and limitations are. When you are in Christ, you can be fruitful and multiply who God is. Second thing, you're going to rule with righteousness. We ruled, man was called to rule over creation and exercise dominion on God's behalf. Oh, did I give you that? Is he giving you that? Thank you, Shane. He's got me. I forget. I get talking. I get lost all the time because <laughs> I'm talking and I don't get in the right place. So thank you. Um, to rule with righteousness. So when I'm making decisions about things, the way I image God and represent him is to make those decisions according to God's righteousness, his character and who he is, what he says is right and what he says is wrong. And that's how I express my human purpose and design is according to God's word. Number three, I subdue with justice. Um, subdue chaos and disorder. I promote order and goodness. So the first years of our married life, my husband um, worked for oil companies. He worked in the corporate world, and you have those company dinners. And if you've ever been to a company dinner, and I really dislike company dinners. And then they say, and what do you do? Right? And I was a stay-at-home mom, and then that's where God called me. And I finally started saying, I'm an anthropological engineer. And that was fabulous. One man actually fell off his chair one time. <laughs> he, he was an engineer. And he understood that the second law of thermodynamics is the law of entropy. And everything goes from one order of chaos to another, to another. And I'm an anthropological engineer. And all I do is reverse chaos. <laughs> all, right? It's great. And that's what God has called us to do. That is our purpose, to subdue chaos and to bring order to the world with justice, not according to my standard, but according to God's standard. And as I do that, I am living out my purpose, and I can be fully human and express exactly what God designed and purposed me to be. But sin, right? So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they chose to disregard God's word. They chose to meet their desires their way instead of living God's way. And we have all followed suit. We all sin. We are sinners. We do sin. We have sin, right? It's like threefold, like you can't get out of that one. So it distorted everything that was good. The only way to be restored then to our original design is by the word of God. Because sin brings that darkness, that emptiness, and that loss of purpose. And it's only through Jesus Christ, the living word, that we can come back into a right relationship with God, that our sins are forgiven, we receive the righteousness of Christ, and he transforms us and gives us that new nature that we wouldn't have apart from him. God accomplishes his work through his word. Biblical counseling also has a high view of Christ. So if God's word brings order, beauty, and purpose, we need to seek God and his word. In his word, we encounter 
his presence. Um, let's see, Noah did some fancy footwork. Here we go. So secular counseling. In secular counseling, the belief is that counseling success is a function of my therapist and their methods. So if you have ever heard someone say, I have to find the right therapist, and I'm not sure what, but I think they need to be qualified in this and this and this, and they need to be able to do this and this and this. And in doing that, then I can be fixed, or I can find peace, or my problems will go away. I am not knocking secular therapy. We have learned a lot, and we continue to learn a lot, and we use those. But the truth is that the Bible has the answers that change us and that transform us. In biblical counseling, my well-being is not dependent on people. My well-being is dependent on God himself. And so I can go to him, and I can go to his very presence, and I can see and experience God himself. These are some passages that remind me of God's presence. Exodus chapter, oh, now I've lost my place in my notes, 35, 34, verses 5 through 8. This passage is, well, I'll read it, and then I'll, no, I've got to tell you this. Okay, don't look. Um, so, the passage in Exodus is particularly special to me. I grew up in the state of Wyoming, and my dad still goes fishing in the mountains. They're in the place where I grew up, we have seven mountain ranges that surround us, and it's just beautiful. So we go fishing in the mountains, hunting, hiking, and there's a place that I love to go with my dad. In fact, I asked him about it last month. And I said, Dad, when do we get to go back to Devil's Canyon? And uh, he said, I don't know. And I remember as a child, Devil's Canyon, these are real words. I mean, these are real names. They're things we said, and they're not nice. That's just what you call them in Wyoming. Okay, so you may or may not want to repeat it. But um, Devil's Canyon has these steep, steep walls that go straight up and this river that runs through the middle. And it is not unusual for the rocks to fall off the top. My dad was fishing and came back once, and there was a head-sized boulder in the back seat of his Suburban. And one day he was fishing with his buddies, and they heard a rock come, a rock falling, and so everyone headed for cover. And um, when they came out, they said, wait, where's Roger? And they started looking for Roger. And Roger came out from this little hole under this huge boulder, and my dad said, there is not room for a person in there, but Roger had been in Vietnam, and Roger knew how to find a hole. And when he heard that whine, <laughs> Roger found a hole. So this next passage reminds me of that because Moses is in a cleft of the rock. I know what a cleft is. Like, you get all the way back in there, and God put his hand over Moses. And then after he passed by, Moses had asked to see his glory, and this is what Moses saw. I think this is fascinating. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Oh, and that went all funky on it, didn't it? Okay. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. 
This is what God looks like on the backside. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Do you want to be changed? Do you want to experience what it is to live out your purpose and design? You come to the word of God and you look for his presence. When you are in a dark place, Psalm 18, 1 through 6, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Look at the personal pronouns. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. In my distress, I called to the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Don't you need that kind of God? I don't know where you've been all your life, but this is what I need. This is where I have to go because there's nothing else here. And then, this is a verse in the New Testament that reflects what happened to Moses. So Moses came down off the mountain that day, and his face was glowing, and they were all terrified, like they didn't, hadn't seen aliens on TV before. And so they're like, Moses, cover your face. And Paul says, but we all, as those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, Beholding in his, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. If you have been in the sun, people see that because it changes the way, it changes your appearance. You get tan, you take on that color. When you have been in the presence of God, you are changed and other people begin to see that and they see the difference that it makes in your life. Ladies, God accomplishes his work through his word. All right. In God's word, we encounter his provision. So if you have needs that aren't being met, you need to go to the word of God. Secular counseling says, the answer is within myself. I must follow my heart. I'm sorry, good luck with that. It does never turned out well for me. <laughs> and I know some of your hearts, and I'm like, oh, good luck, ladies. <laughs> I love you, but, all right. Biblical counseling, Jesus Christ is the only answer, and I live to glorify him. It's a different source of provision. The source is not myself. My source is Jesus Christ himself. <coughs> Sorry, I need a cough, not a COVID cough. <laughs> All right, Jesus knew that because when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our pastor says, Tim Waldron says, if God doesn't need it, I didn't need it. 
And I just love that. One day I showed up to lead. So he gave me the privilege of doing a Bible study with our women that was his own discipleship baby. And I asked if I could do it with the women. And so he said, okay. And he gave me the materials. And then it came to a point where we were actually studying the book of Jude. And I said, Pastor Tim, would you be willing to teach the ladies this portion? Because if I watch you do it, then I'll be able to know, you know how to take it from there. And he said, certainly. So he came that first Tuesday morning, and we had no child care. And I was not the only one teaching Bible study. We had another women's Bible study, and we had children everywhere. And I thought, what are we? You can't have ladies' Bible study without nursery. Amen? Amen. Especially when it's during the day. And I looked at Pastor and I said, I don't know what to do. This was my job, and it's not getting done. And he said, If God doesn't need it, we didn't need it. I was like, if you say so, but it's true because when God doesn't meet it, that means I need something else more than what I thought I needed in that moment. I think I need something, but God is the one that defines my needs, and then God is the one that provides for them, and Jesus knew that, and that's exactly what he told Satan. I bet Jesus ate just fine and dandy after those 40 days and 40 nights. I don't think he was wanting but in this moment, there was something he needed more than that bread from the hand of Satan. And you and I are in the same boat. We need the word of God. And we know that because Second Peter says, I'm sorry, I keep pointing back there because I'm trying to read. And I should just turn here where you ladies can see it just fine. I haven't gotten to speak in here before. That's... All right. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. In other words, when you know about Jesus and who he is, you have everything you need for life and for godliness. I looked up that word all in Greek. <laughs> You're laughing. You know what it means. Like all. <laughs> it says every, each one, unto, as according, inclusive, all. So there you go. You now know Greek for the word all. <laughs> and this is a familiar scripture. This is from this summer. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture Again, all, you see that word? I went through my Bible once and I just started circling all the alls. They're all circled in my Bible. Because <laughs> I'm like, all means all. And if God says all, he means all. And I'm going to take him at his word, so I need to know what all I've got coming. Yes, and it's here. All scripture, not parts. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness, that the man of God, person of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, so I looked some of those words up too because I thought, oh, this ought to be good. Adequate and complete means fitted, complete, perfect, a special aptitude for given uses. Don't you want a special aptitude for given uses? You want to be doing exactly what you were designed to do. 
And it says that God's word will do that for you. Equipped means finished perfectly, accomplished, like done, nothing left undone. You and I have no idea what that looks like this side of heaven. In our world, everything is incomplete. We measure everything by a lack of. True? And when we're talking about God, there is no lack. Complete, equipped, and he's talking to you. Use it. He gave it to you to use. Good, useful, pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, excellent, distinguished, upright, and honorable. Isn't that what you're looking for? Wouldn't that be amazing to have all of that? So when we're reflecting God's creation of us and his provision, he uses his word to make us fitted to mankind complete. We have an aptitude for our special use. For each and every part, we are finished perfectly, and we are good, useful, joyful, excellent, and upright. You don't believe me. I see it on your faces. You don't believe me. It's true. And it's not going to be true in every moment. And it's not going to be true for every circumstance because we still have that sin nature in us that really struggles and battles the goodness of God and the truth of our mind versus the truth of his word. But this is what God has for each and every one of us. And he is working and using that as we behold him from glory to glory, that we would reflect and image him. God accomplishes his work through his word. So in his word, we also encounter his person. In secular counseling, again, oh, no, I did that, and that's not what I meant to do before. Sorry, ladies, I blew it. Provision was different. But this is his person. This is about him. His provision was about meeting my needs, right? You, sorry, so we're going to get that. Yeah, all right. This is about God himself. And we're going to look at John 1, 1 through 5 and verse 14. That says, in the beginning was the word. You should know this, right? You will want a people, you're with me. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not comprehended it, did not comprehend it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you have the word of God, you have Jesus he is the living word. And so if I need to know, want to know Jesus, I'm reading through the Gospels again and really enjoying just looking at who Jesus is and the different authors' purposes as they share about who he is. And I know that um, at one point in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And until you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And 
they were like, what? And many departed and they didn't come back. Like they're really freaked out about that. The fact is, Jesus has given us himself. And until I take this word, and as James chapter 1 says, I implant it in my heart, and I implant it in my mind, and this becomes part of me, then I am not really partaking of Christ. I have not made him my own until I personally look at his death on my behalf and in my place, having taken that sin for me freely and completely, and I believe that by faith, I really haven't partaken of Christ. And a few months ago, we were sharing the Lord's Supper at church, and um, Pastor Waldron had us all come up to the front. We all stood around, and then um, our men were serving the elements of the Lord's table. And I remember standing there and, and holding that piece of bread, and when he said, you know, take ye all of it, and I was eating, and I just thought, God, could I not take you in that easily? What prevents me from taking your word and making it part of who I am until it becomes part of my thinking, part of my molecular structure, like part of how I live and move and have my being? It is so much easier to take a piece of bread than it is to take your word and to apply it to my life, and it can be so very difficult. And yet God promises that we can, and he will do that in and through us. Hebrew, um, sorry, Romans 12, 2 says to be transformed, to transform your mind and your way of thinking by the word of God. And he will change not only the way you think, but the way you live. And I'll talk more about that in tomorrow's session. So very quickly, Ephesians 4, Jesus redeemed me and my desires are new. So Paul says that you're putting off the old man, you're renewing your mind, and then you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That new man is righteous and holy that God has in mind for you. He gives you new desires and a new nature. And Hebrews 4.12, which you know, just speaks to the power of God's word, which is living and active, and it is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. So as we come to the word of God and we're looking to the person of Jesus Christ, he will do that work in our hearts. Now, I, I want to remind you, maybe you don't need this reminding, I need this reminding sometimes. When I'm doing biblical counseling, in other words, someone talks to me and has a question or is just dealing with life, and in my mind I'm thinking, do they need encouragement? Do they just need me to listen? Are they looking for some kind of instruction? What do they need in this moment? that if I am ever going to use God's word to discern the thoughts and intents of their heart, I need to be very, very careful.
Matthew Henry says that in order to do spiritual surgery, we need the eye of an eagle, the hand of a surgeon, and the heart of a woman. And I think that is absolutely beautiful. Before you confront anyone with the truth of Scripture, discerning their heart, you have to realize that we can do a lot of damage even with truth. And a surgeon does not run around wantonly slicing people up without their permission. I mean, that would be a really bad day, right? Those kinds of people don't stay in practice. But the people that stay in practice are the people who see the need, whose services are wanted, and people understand that there is a healing power and there is a need for that to take place in their lives. And when it's done well and it's done with um, comfort and it's done with compassion, then we can come alongside people with the Word of God to help them through that surgical process. And that leads us to our last point. We always use it according to the manufacturer's instructions. <laughs> right? When we had small children, and there would be snow days in Iowa, right? Cold, snowy days. And why Iowa City doesn't have anywhere for small children to play has always been a mystery to me. Um, it's Iowa, and we have small children. So um, cushions were fabulous. And uh, cushions, okay, they called them cushions at our house. And the cushions were used to build tents and houses and to jump on and to make tunnels. And a child can do a lot with sofa cushions and pillows. You would be amazed what can happen to your house. Well, then the problem is when it's time to read a book or when company comes over or you need a place to sit and the, the cushions have not only been displaced, but they're really you know, not in good shape to sit on and not in good shape to use and you're a little embarrassed and it doesn't work for what it's intended for. Then we had to create a new rule and the new rule was House rule, you can only use something according to its intended use. My children knew those words. They were this, according to its intended use. Yes. So how are you going to use the, you know, hammer? <laughs> according to its intended use. <laughs> and that rule applied to so many things. It was such a wonderful rule. I was so thankful for that rule. Um, because it saves a lot of destruction. <laughs> and then it was something that they could apply across the board. The same is true of God's word. We want to use God's word according to its intended use, not according to our desires, not according to our pleasure, not to get our outcome, but the way that God intends us. And the first way we use it is with love. Is that going to come up? We need to use it with love. God gave his word with love. He created us with love. He sent Jesus Christ because he was motivated by love. And ladies, I'm just going to tell you, I have never seen people obey rules and come out ahead. Can you say Pharisee? All right. We often get caught up in doing what's right and following rules, and we forget that God is all about love, and we need to start there. The second thing is 
knowledge. We need to know. We need to know what God's word says, and we need to know other people. The word of God, James says, is like a mirror. So I can spend a lot of time studying a mirror, and in our churches and in our Bible studies and in our worlds, it is not a wrong thing to study the word of God. We need to know the word of God. Unfortunately, what happens is sometimes we are so busy studying the word of God that we never look at the reflection. And you and I, I know I, am guilty of sometimes looking in the mirror of God's word the way I look in the mirror in my bathroom. So there's like a wall, and I can see some parts, and I can't see other parts because I don't want to see other parts. Yeah, enough said. So God's word is a mirror, and we need to know ourselves. We need to know the word of God. We also need to know others before we help them apply it. Then we can speak. And when we speak the word of God, we want to use it again the way God intended it. God's word is powerful and active. God's word changes us. God's word transforms, and it has hope. And we need to speak it. If we don't speak it, we are doing a disservice. And do. Then we put it into action. Doing God's word, first of all, means trusting him. I need to trust God. And as I trust him, I will obey his word. And I will do what he says. I also need to know myself, and this is something that comes up over and over as I visit with individuals and just frustrations and hardness of life, is sometimes we think we ought to be able to do something that we really can't do. And ladies, we are especially guilty of that. We take on responsibilities, and we try to remove limits that God has put in place. And I am so often reminded of Jesus in Philippians 2, who took on the form of a bondservant and being in likeness of man, right? And it goes on. The fact is that Jesus allowed himself to take on and live in the limits that we experience. And for us to remove those limits from ourselves, or to say they don't matter or to disregard the limits that God has put in place of us is for us to play God. And that's a really dangerous place. So when we're doing, we want to keep in mind who God is and how he's made us. So when I give advice, it's actually really empty apart from God's word, right? I don't make a good mirror. I might try but I do a very poor job. And our words have no more power or ability to change anyone than the advice you were offered by everyone who sat down at the beginning of this session. Not that it wasn't helpful. I'm sure it was. There was good advice out there. So it begins with you and God and you and his word that God will work change in your life. Biblical counseling is living and speaking the word of God authentically. It is nothing more than that. Anytime you encounter someone and you live and act on God's word as you interact with them, you are providing biblical counseling. Now, when I do biblical counseling, hopefully I'm doing this with my children, with my husband, in my home, in my community. But there are times that people will say to me, can I sit down with you? 
I just need another perspective. I need to know what God's word says about this. And I'm hoping that more and more, that is the way we're interacting with each other, and that is the way we're interacting with others throughout the body of Christ, because that's what he's called us to. It matters because God accomplishes his work through his word. So let me give you some resources. You have some resources at the bottom of your page. Um, and somehow I lost There it is. So instruments in the Redeemer's hands. There's a QR code. Um, I am going to lead that Bible study via Zoom. So especially if you are that if you are a pastor's wife or a ministry leader, and that would be helpful for you to talk through that. Um, there's a sign up on the back table to your right as you go out, or you can sign up online here. Um, there are different opportunities for training. If you're looking into biblical counseling and you just say, people come to me for help, or I want to be able to help people, and how do I do that, and how do I know where to find that? It started for me when I had young ladies coming, and there was a lot of self-harm going on, and I said, I know the Bible has answers, but I don't know what they are, and I don't know how to find them. And so my husband said, go get help, and I said, okay. Um, my book, Sanctuary, is Hope and Help for Victims of Domestic Abuse. I'll be talking more about that yes tomorrow, yesterday. <laughs> well, that would be a good trick. Or you can catch me anytime. I have a website. Uh, the Bible study is there. Uh, I talked to Dr. Keck, and he is offering, obviously, classes at Faith Baptist Bible College and Seminary. He doesn't have any modules yet. Faith Church in Lafayette has a biblical counseling training conference in February. It's one week in February, and it will change your life, and it is the best investment of your money and your time that I know of. Uh, it's like camp for grown-ups. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. You just sit. You sit there, and the speakers just rotate through, and you just get the Word of God for about 40 hours straight that week. And then in the evenings, you debrief with other people, and you go to restaurants. You don't have to cook, and you stay in a hotel. So, yeah, ladies, I know. Go with each other. Sign somebody up for it. All right, I think that is all I have, so let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you have given us your word, that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, that you want to change us, that you desire to have that relationship with us where we are being used and living out our purpose and our design, that we are imaging you to a lost world, but we are also imaging you as a means of giving you glory. We pray that uh, as we go through this weekend, we would be mindful of who you are and of the value of others and of the value of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.